Hello and welcome to another edition of the Duct Tape Marketing Podcast. This is your host, John Jantz, and my guest today is Nancy Duarte. She is a CEO and principal, and I'm going to suggest co-founder probably, of Duarte Design. Um, probably, uh, if you're going to go out to Silicon Valley particularly, probably done, if you've seen a presentation by uh, a company out in that part of the world, uh, probably has her fingerprints on it in one way, shape, or another, uh, either through her actual doing or training or her book, Slideology, uh, The Art of Creating Great Presentations, and a new book that we're going to talk about today, Resonate, Present Visual Stories That Transform Audiences. So let's transform some folks, uh, Nancy. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. So, you know, you live in a very visual world, so uh, are we going to be able to get these ideas across uh, in a uh, flat sort of audio world? Oh, yeah, yeah. I'll be <laughs> as animated and visual as audible, audibly possible. <laughs> okay. So so your your first book that I mentioned, Slideology, uh, I always like to get, I think this will help a baseline, um, you know, art and science. A lot of people think in terms of presentations being get your – Get your slides out there, organize your ideas, create some bullet points. Um, I teed that one up for you. Um, and, uh, and you know, away we go. And I obviously I loved Slideology, and I think that anybody that, that does any presentations for a living, even if they just flip through that book, uh, they would probably uh, double their understanding of how to effectively present. But what is the art and science uh, in a nutshell? Yeah, in my first book, Slotology, we were trying to change mindsets, and so it covers a lot about idea generation, visual idea generation, but the bulk of it's really around design thinking and trying to teach people to think like a designer. There's not a really big difference in um, my professional designers designing things and then a layperson uh, designing things. They're doing the same things, putting in text, putting in pictures, and then arranging them on a slide. The difference is, is that my designers have been trained where to designate where it goes. So the root word of the word designate is design. Hmm. So the only difference is they're putting words and they're putting pictures on it, and so is the average corporate citizen. The only difference is the designer's been taught how to designate, how to scale it and place it so it creates balance and harmony and a hierarchy and the proximity. Everything has meaning in where they're placed and how it's arranged. So it's just it's a tool that, um, you know, MBAs aren't taught how to arrange their visual information, yet they spend most of their day in PowerPoint arranging information. So... It was just we wanted to put some best practices out there that we've been doing for about 20 years, and that's what the nexus was. So it is a science. There is some science to it. Well, so obviously other than hiring somebody to do it for them, I mean, is is it something somebody who has not had that training can learn because there are just fundamental principles? Oh, yeah, yeah. I I mean, I get notes all the time, people getting promotions. Their ideas were clearer. They got adopted. They're getting traction in their job. They're getting traction with their clients. So, yeah, absolutely, people are doing it themselves. And you actually, uh, I'm jumping around here, but um, you actually uh, teach that, right? I mean, you have workshops uh, on site, right? Yeah, it was a shock. I mean, I thought I wrote a book the first time, and the next thing I knew, unexpectedly, didn't even think this far ahead, I was that they, people wanted training right away. So we do uh, workshops here. We go into corporations. We do workshops there, and, and we're starting to do some regional public workshops. So, yeah, well, probably probably some of the best money somebody could spend when you t- start talking about getting your ideas across. That's you know that's selling. That's uh, that's uh, getting people to join your cause. I mean, probably the most important business skill there is. Yeah, I think presentations are the most powerful persuasive medium. Yet it's also on the other far extreme. It's so reviled because people aren't doing it well or right. So yeah, and it's not really even Microsoft's fault, is it? No, 
Absolutely not. <laughs> I mean, they do feed us into a construct that's document generating, yeah. but in, in reality, they, it's really the user's fault, yes. So one of the big things that I know that you um, talk about, in, actually in both books, is this idea of, I think we're all uh, taught, or many, many people, most of the majority of people are taught to, uh, you, you call it design thinking, so the opposite of that might be word thinking. Um, mm-hmm. We're sort of taught to put words on a, on a page, and, and I think that you really uh, kind of relate present, presenting to storytelling. So uh, help me out with that a little yeah, I, I do feel like people put words on a page and start to move it around instead of, uh, and the pages are usually in a tool like PowerPoint or Keynote, we just start to attack things literally, linearly, and we'll start to pound out um, ideas. And I want to challenge that and ask people to move into kind of a spatial creating environment where you're always looking at the whole and not the parts. Mm-hmm. So you're always looking at the whole structure, making sure it has a beginning, a middle, and an end. Make sure you're making all the points that have supporting points. Um, but we actually also overlaid a story framework uh, using the works of uh, Carl Jung, Joseph Campbell, and specifically Chris Vogler, who actually took the hero's journey and we've applied it to presentations so that there's that tension and release and the heartbeat. And it's not very often like, that you can sit through a presentation and feel like it kept your attention. Yeah. And I think part of that is because when, when you're actually sitting through a story, you actually can physically have uh, things happen to your body. You'll get a chill up your spine mm-hmm. or a pit in your stomach. Your eyes will dilate. Your heart will beat. You know, you could cry. You could laugh. You could have physical reactions. And it's not very often that we incorporate story in a presentation that's that riveting. And I feel like the methodology that I've uncovered, this kind of code uh, that I've cracked per se, is um, actually going to make it so that our presentations are much more interesting and these ideas that are trapped right now in people's minds and hearts um, will hopefully come out and be the catalyst to help us change the world. And and does it change how also, I mean, on top of somebody saying, wow, that was a great speaker, you know, which is obviously part of the goals of maybe, maybe creating some of this drama or inspiration, but does it also change the way in which information is consumed and retained? Oh, yeah. I, it's interesting. A story is kind of like the sugar that can help the medicine go down. I always picture it as this little nice gelatin capsule that um, helps people absorb information, and then the information gets released inside of them in a really beautiful way. There's really, it, it's, a, it's just this cool container that, that just helps with the digestion of information. I guess I said the same thing twice because I believe <laughs> it so much. <laughs> Well, I, I love, there's a Mr. Rogers quote that I quote all the time that he, you know, he used to say that it's hard not to like someone once you know their story. Oh, um, yeah. And, and I think that, that, that I have experienced that same thing, that, that people can connect to stories, they, you know, they feel more authentic, they, they really, even if the story is like, here's how I failed, um, I think that, that it really does allow people to draw closer, faster, rather than you trying to cram something down their throat. Right, and I stories of failure. That's the that's the crux of every story is the transformation. That yeah, you failed, but you emerged a better person. You yeah. failed, but you learned a moral. That's yeah, very and, and in fact, there are really taking a hint from the movies and from um, from you know story writing. Uh, there really are only, <clears throat> I mean, there are class a classic set of stories, right? That that maybe we need to start thinking in terms of understanding and adopting. Right, exactly. <clears throat> the limited amount of story plots that are out yeah. there. Yeah. Do um, one of the things that I would tell people to do is um, go to Nancy's site, and it's just duarte. dot com forward slash. You doing okay, there, John? <laughs> no, I'm not. I'm, I'm yeah. <laughs> Wish this I is... could help you. 
Now, this is live radio, so we have no choice but to trudge on. Um, the uh, I was getting to your website, Duarte.com, and then forward slash work, because you have some incredible examples that people uh, can consume. And I think I'm I'm one of those people that, I, that somebody can tell me all day long, oh, you need to do it like this. But if I go look at some pictures of it done, uh, then I'm like, oh, now I get it. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, there's some really cool uh, samples up there. We have some more recent work samples. We just re-released our website about a month ago. Now, tell me about a concept that that I think is probably yours uh, that you use in, in throughout the book, uh, but also um, I think as a as a tool that you probably use in your own business, and that's this idea of a sparkline. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sparkline is a term originally coined by Edward Tufte, and he's uh, just a machine on the visual display of information, quanti- uh, quantitative display of information. And I really, um, it was just a fantastic journey I went on. And nobody's actually analyzed ever uh, speeches visually in the way that I've done. And once I studied story and story frameworks, I came across uh, Freytag's pyramid. And he was a dramatist who studied drama. He came up with a shape for a drama, which has a it has the exposition, rising action, climax, falling action, and a denouement, which is, and it made the shape of a triangle. And, you know, we talk about stories as having an arc. We talk about music as having a shapeliness to it, classical music more than hip-hop. <laughs> but we talk about the shape of things. And I thought, you know, if there was a contour of a really great presentation, what would that contour be and why? And so I studied and studied and studied for about 18 months. And I had that breakthrough of the spark line in my office one day. So I sat and I thought, you know, after all the study I've done, it has a clear beginning, middle, and an end, but it definitely has a shape. So I drew that little shape. It's like a pumpkin tooth kind of shape um, to it. And I remember saying, you know what? If this is true, I should be able to take two very different speeches. I took uh, Steve Jobs' 2007 iPhone launch keynote, and I took Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream mm-hmm. speech. And I quickly, I had them both transcribed in front of me, and I quickly overlaid overlaid that shape over them, and it was true. So I feel like I found this kind of underlying structure that no one has seen before that every great presentation has. Even even uh, Lincoln's Gettysburg Address has it. Um, you know, great communicators have been using this kind of system, but nobody's ever articulated what it is they're doing. I had a blast doing that. So I did you... fall on my knees and cry when I actually worked. I was all excited about it. So do you think that that the people that you mentioned, great orators, uh, just do that naturally? or yeah, and, yeah, it's, But it's something think, we can learn from. I think so. So it's the story framework. They were applying principles of story and didn't even realize they were doing it. And it was just natural, and they're just good at it, and it felt natural for them to do it. And, yeah, there's this little hidden construct in there. There's some folks out there that probably think, well, that's great. I mean, we need to inspire, or you're the luncheon keynote. You want to really knock them dead. But, hey, I just need to teach some people how to do something, or I need to give the annual report on how our sales department is doing you know, versus yeah. the numbers. I mean, how do you make that stuff interesting? This halftime break is brought to you by Constant Contact. Constant Contact helps small businesses and nonprofits build great customer relationships with email marketing, event marketing, and online surveys. Visit them today at constantcontact.com and sign up for your free 60-day trial. Well, it's so funny because people are like, oh, my speeches aren't persuasive. Now, right. granted, I think when you're having a really casual conversation with your staff, that might not be persuasive. But I do think if you're presenting to your staff, you're trying to persuade them to do something. You you want them to take this information, even if you say, hey, I'm just telling them how to do something. Well, why? Why do they need to know how to do it? There's there's always a why to why. So you are persuading almost everybody every time you give a presentation. And 
businesses change over time. You know, they, they start up, they grow, they mature. And if you don't do the right things at the point of maturity, you decline and decay. It's like the cycle of life. You know, we're born, we live, we die. Right. Well, same thing happens with businesses. The really great businesses, the truly visionary businesses reinvent themselves in the middle somewhere so that they sustain. And what happens is if your people and your staff and your organization do not know how to reinvent and do not know how to persuade the staff to be in the right place in the future, your business will fail. And so a lot of the conversations, a lot of the presentations that people do that they're like, I don't have to invest in this one. It's just a, it's just a stupid little conversation. Right. Those are the things that bring us to our demise and ultimately our, our business's decline. It's the ones where the staff is empowered and, and feels like it is their job to persuade their customers or stakeholders to be in the right place in the future. Those are the ones that live beyond a generation. Well, I think there's also a natural inclination to, you know, if the boss thinks this is important enough to, to put on a presentation, so to speak, then it must be important. True that. Yeah. yeah. So what are some of your favorite tools? I mean, I, I assume a lot of people are sitting out there going, okay, all I need is PowerPoint um, or Keynote. Um, do you have, I mean, do you start on a big, long, 27-foot white piece of paper or yeah. do you have other? <laughs> I start other, on my yeah, wall. Yeah. So talk, so talk about that kind of how you build yeah, up to Yeah, my creative process stays pretty analog, though. Granted, from the uh, training department, we've generated a, a tool, a folder system, where you can use smaller sticky notes. But mm -hmm. I, I tend to um, create sticky notes, put them on the wall, arrange them, rearrange them, add to them, and then I present them. I bring somebody in and I say, what do you think? This is what I'm going to say. They'll say, oh, you forgot this, this, this. Try it again. And then I input their feedback. But I'll go through, if it's a really high stakes, I'll go through a couple rounds with people. I'm on, on an internal. So I only have 72 employees, not only. I mean, I guess that's a pretty significant size organization. Yes, I'm on my third round with my upper management of presenting a presentation of a vision update of a direction that we all feel is critical to go, but we know there'll be resistance internally. Uh. So I'm, I'm actually collecting all the resistance from all the different managers that they think that people will give me, and then I'm modifying, 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 and then I'll present it to the whole staff because it's critical that we make this move. And so um, my creative process is, is iterative and tactile, and then I move to um, to the, the presentation tools. What do you think about some of the online stuff? Um, I have uh, collaborative. Through, yeah, yeah, yeah. I just went through a demonstration on one that I love called Slide Rocket. That is oh, I love doing Slide Rocket. Cool it's beautiful. Things. Yeah, Slide Rocket's doing a good job. I think um, Google Docs is trying to to do that. I think it's fantastic. So, like when I'm doing a, a review, if I have a distributed um, management workforce or whatever, we could all be up there, you know, editing and auditing, you know, the content together at the same time. Slide Rocket does a better job at least making things look attractive. Yeah. With Google Docs, you really can only use it for the collaboration part, and you have to put it into a presentation application on the desktop, or it just is awful. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's very, very cool co-creation environment. So one of the things that speakers uh, realize they, they must do now in this day and age is uh, create tweetable moments <laughs> because yeah. there yeah. are dependent upon the uh, the audience makeup there's anywhere from 10 to 100 percent of the people uh, tweeting what you are saying or not saying and and no. you know is there uh, has, does that change well I, I hope people realize that now when they stand up in front of a crowd of 100 people that might really be 5,000 people because yeah. Yeah. the people in the room have a, a, a have a following base, and some of the most innocent-looking people have 50,000 followers, and right. you just don't even know how your message is being reconveyed. So if you don't put in there really tightly worded, carefully crafted little sound bites, then, you know, 
you're you're giving them actual little tools for them so that they could retweet the best parts. If you fumble and you're and you're ill prepared, and um, I mean, there's so many stories of this back channel where mm. the presenter is just basically behind their back; they're booed off the stage, but they right. don't even know it. Like right. it's really tragic what's happening in some of these presentation environments. So, putting sound bites really carefully, really powerfully, and putting pauses on either side of this great soundbite, so it gives people time to process it, type it, Twitter it, and pass it on. Um, SAP makes a cool tool where you can actually, <laughs> when, you click your, when you click your slide forward, it releases a Twitter for you on your behalf, and then all the audience has to do is retweet your soundbite, which is kind of nice. Yeah, I, I've, I was glad you mentioned that because I was going to. I think it's really oh, cool. cool. Yeah. And, yeah, and actually, one of the things, uh, this is a little tip for you that I've started doing uh, when I know I want to try to create those because it's my impactful moment, um, I'll uh-huh. actually I'll actually fire up Twitter and type it in and make sure that it, that if I need to shorten it I need to if it there's something funny about writing in the Twitter screen that forces you to say well gosh I don't need that word and I don't need that word and I should mm-hmm. use a different word here um, but uh, so that I, I don't know maybe that maybe that's just my own sort of it's need <laughs> there was a little study done that if you actually you know, put the little Twitter bird and you put your little soundbite up yeah. there and are expecting people to do it. It actually had 70% less retweets than a moment that was carefully spoken and repeated because they feel manip- like, it feels like advertising, like, pick up this thing and Twitter yeah. it for me, you know, whereas yeah. be- whereas without it, it feels more natural. Like they, like the people in the audience uncovered a Twitterable moment and they found it and yeah. they Twittered it. So there's an interesting study starting to happen there. Yeah. Well, I do know that monitoring that, and certainly from a speaker standpoint, if you're not monitoring that back channel, um, you you better because it's some of the you know it's some of the the fastest feedback you'll get and and you you'll find well gosh it seems yeah. like every time i go to this slide people tweet this <laughs> maybe yeah. maybe there's something in it so it definitely is uh, uh something a useful thing so when i listen to you talk about on your third round and you know, because it's that important I, I i do know that a lot of folks make presentations uh because they have 30 minutes uh, to prepare their slides because somebody wants them. <laughs> um, and what you're talking about sounds yeah. like work. I mean, Well, uh... <laughs> yeah, when it's really high stakes. If you've got a $10 million proposal, or for me, I've got this initiative, I need to nail yep. it right, or it right. could make or break, or, you know, those are the ones that take enormous amounts of time and practice. Some of them, like, I'll do a really quick one, but what I do is I, I, don't, I don't go to slides. I don't spend time on slides. I spend time on the story and the message. I make sh- I take all my sticky notes out. I arrange them. And I walk in literally with a piece of paper with sticky notes on it and I do my conversation. So I'm, I think people are better off thinking through the content and not getting distracted by making sure every shade of blue on your slide is right. It's really got to be about the message and, and what is the transformation you're wanting the audience to go through. So if you actually articulate your big idea, where you want to move the audience from and what you want to move them towards, don't even go into a meeting without doing that first. And then everything you do and say supports that one transformation arc. It's really important that your audience goes on the defined journey you're wanting them to go on. Yeah, and, and we haven't talked enough, of, and I'd love to give you some space to just kind of give your thoughts on on you know resonate why you, why you bought it what or I'm sorry why you wrote it and uh, why people ought to buy it um, but but one of the things you just mentioned there I think is, is a lot of people take for granted I think so many presenters think here's the information I want to present you know here's the knowledge I have <laughs> that I want to give and and you just use the word journey and I think that that is such an important part to help help people understand I know where you are I know you talked about the resistance I mean if people 
don't have that resistance acknowledged, then they sit out in the audience and go, yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but. Right? Yeah, and, right, and, and, right. And so I'd, I'd love for you to maybe, is there a way to succinctly kind of talk about, you know, what are all the, what are all the stops on the journey? What are all the pitfalls on the journey? What are the things you better <laughs> take into consideration? Yeah, I think the the most important thing along the journey is your stance as presenter. I think you started off the question by saying, you know, so many presenters feel like they're going to come in and tell the audience all this information, and, and that is true, and you're knowledgeable, and as a presenter, you're a subject matter expert, but in reality, you're not there to save the day. You know, you're a moment. You're one moment in the audience's life, and you need to make sure that one moment they have with you is very special, and you're not the hero of their life. You're not there to save their day. In reality, once you pronounce the idea out there, the audience is the one that's either going to run with or, or revolt against your idea. So you need to come alongside the audience as their mentor, not as their hero. That means that your presentation really needs to have in it a few components that a mentor in the myths and movies offers to everyone. And that would be a magical tool, a special gift, or getting them unstuck. Like if you look at any movie, the mentor is always there as a come alongside to help the help the hero with their obstacles. And that's what you should do as a presenter. You're there to help the audience get past, get unstuck, or help with obstacles, help make their life better along their journey. So I feel like there needs to be a, a change in stance and a change in attitude. That, And then from there, a lot of things will fall out from that. And you have to specifically understand what it is you want these heroes to do when they leave with your idea. You know, you put your idea out there for them all to contend with, what do you want them to run out and do with the idea? You need to define that. It's not just going to happen. Like even what you were saying about, you know, going on a journey, you don't just get in your car and start to drive any willy-nilly direction if you know you need to end up in Missouri. Like you plan it out. And we, yet we do that with our presentations. We just hop in and drive. We're not even headed into the right hemisphere. <laughs> so you have to plan the direction you want the audience to go and then make sure everything you're doing supports that. And I loved your idea about changing that stance because I think a lot of the fear that people have in public speaking is that I have to get up here and be brilliant. And what if I'm not? And I think if if people more people came to it with I have to get up here and mentor, um, I think that that would really change how people view public speaking. Exactly. Yeah. You have to have something. Like my dream is that if people left the presentation instead of saying, well, that was a stupid waste of an hour of my time, right. if they left saying – wow, I just left that presentation and my life is better. I just left that presentation and I have a tool in my little tool belt that's going to make me my job easier. I just left with this insight, you know, that's going to make my soul happier on this planet, whatever, you know, and, and that's what we have to be thinking about, not about whatever it is we feel like we want to pronounce on them. Yeah, well, I, I think just that, that, that one tip right there probably would help <laughs> thousands and thousands of would-be speakers. But uh, um, obviously, I, I would say that, um, and correct me if you think I'm wrong here. I think that these books probably should be purchased uh, together, or, or at least read or consumed, yeah. or somehow together. They 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 certainly are. I, I think you wrote them to be sort of hand in glove, right? Yeah, I did actually. What's funny is I wrote reson I wrote Slideology first, and Resonate's kind of a prequel to Slideology. Yeah, yeah. So I don't know. Like people ask me, what order should you read them in? And I I think you do your content before you do your slides. But it's a little bit like Star Wars. You could you could reread them the prequel or the or the sequel, either way, and, and still enjoy them both, because they can stand alone without the other. Well, here would be my advice. Read Resonate, then read Slideology, and then go back and reread Resonate. <laughs> because <Yeah. laughs> because, because I, think it, I think you would consume it differently after uh, doing it in that order. So that's just my two cents. <laughs> well, Nancy, thanks so much for joining me. I've actually been wanting to get you on the show for a long time, but you're, uh, yeah, really you, you, you and those 72 employees of yours uh, uh, you know, stay very busy. 
me a pinch. I, I've wanted to meet you for a long time, John, so I really appreciate you uh, taking time with me. You bet. I appreciate it. And go out and look up Slideology and Resonate, uh, which are both available just about anywhere you can buy a book. Um, and I think that, in fact, I always preach this idea that uh, $25 or so for uh, a book is uh, maybe one of the best bargains on the planet when you think in terms of somebody like Nancy's experience uh, uh, pretty much poured into every page. Uh, great, great bargain. So, Nancy, thanks again for joining us, and hopefully we'll uh, catch up again uh, next time out in California. Yeah, that'd be great, John. Thanks. This episode is brought to you by the Yap Media Podcast Network. I'm Hala Taha, CEO of the award-winning digital media empire, Yap Media, and host of Yap Young and Profiting Podcast, a number one entrepreneurship and self-improvement podcast where you can listen, learn, and profit. On Young and Profiting Podcast, I interview the brightest minds in the world, and I turn their wisdom into actionable advice that you can use in your daily life. Each week, we dive into a new topic like the art of side hustles, how to level up your influence and persuasion, and goal setting. I interview A-list guests on Young and Profiting. I've got the best guests, like the world's number one negotiation expert, Chris Voss, Shark, Damon John, serial entrepreneurs, Alex and Layla Hermosi, and even movie stars like Matthew McConaughey. There's absolutely no fluff on my podcast, and that's on purpose. Every episode is jam-packed with advice that's gonna push your life forward. I do my research, I get straight to the point, and I take things really seriously which is why I'm known as the podcast princess and how I became one of the top podcasters in the world in less than five years. Young and Profiting Podcast is for all ages. Don't let the name fool you. It's an advanced show. As long as you want to learn and level up, you will be forever young. So join Podcast Royalty and subscribe to Young and Profiting Podcast or Yap, like it's often called by my Yap fam on Apple, Spotify, CastBox, or wherever you listen to your podcasts.